I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, hi. Hello. It's Thursday. And we are no more productive on a Thursday than we are on a Friday. God, no. (laughs) Wednesday really is our sweet spot. Yeah, I'm so tired. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so we got a, a good episode lined up for you this week. However, before we get into that, we have uh, like a special thing to do. So you may, if you've been around for a while, you may remember us asking people to send us messages about, you know, the cases we cover or like basically anything because we're lonely and like to talk to people on the internet. Um <laughs> Our entire existence just summed up in one sentence. Like, literally, though. Um, (laughs) Moving right along, we also asked you guys to send us emails because emails are fun, right? Who doesn't love to get mail, even if it's E? Mail. Mail, yeah. Um, So someone actually sent us an email. Uh, and, and it's very exciting. So, and we promise that, you know, if you guys send us emails, we'd read them out on the show. So, uh, that's what we're going mean, to do. If they're nice emails, if they're mean. I mean, if they're just like, go die we in a hole, your, we're not we going to read, read that. out your email address. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we will find your IP address, find your location. I have that power, you know. No, I don't. Well, I might. Depends. You don't know. You don't know if I have that power. <laughs> Anyway, this one was nice, so we're going to read it. Um, so this email came from Jim uh, on the heels of our uh, Sons of Sam cult theory episode. So this is what Jim said. I love your show and voted for you guys on the British Podcast Awards. Thank you, Jim. We do appreciate Thank that. You. That's really cool. Thank you. So yes, so Jim voted for us in the British Podcast Awards. Uh, And then he said, The Sons of Sam episode. Every time I hear about that a-hole, it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode when George was about to have sex with his cousin. Makes me laugh. I'm sure at least one of you know what I'm talking about. Jim. Well, Jim. I remember now, you sent me a screenshot of this email, and I was supposed to research that episode of Seinfeld because I've never watched it. <laughs> well, I tried and I accidentally ended up watching a clip from a different Seinfeld episode where George has a bad date or something. To be fair, Jim, I have not watched Seinfeld since it was originally on the air when I was like five. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> um, I did try to look up this episode uh, because I was not familiar with it. And it's something about, like, George's parents disown him, and so to stay in their life in some capacity, he, like, starts dating his first cousin. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> like, I'm sure it was hilarious at the time. Now it seems pretty skeevy. So... <laughs> And like a bit like on Friends when Ross tries to kiss his cousin and his excuse is that he hasn't had sex in a long time. Yeah, that's not great. It's not that shit's not aged well. No, no. A lot of the nineties sitcoms just haven't aged well. 
Neither have the naughties. The naughties are worse. I hate that word. I don't. That's that is not a. Uh, 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 no, you call it the arts. Don't yes, you? we do, which I much prefer. I don't like either, but I feel like the naughties are arts. Sitcoms have aged worse because they're so much more recent. Yeah, I think it's also because of the technology. Like, if you look at shows from like the early to mid nineties. You might see like a cell phone once every season or something, but you get to like 2003 and the shit that was on the air, everyone has like these honking computers and like like hideous cell phones and stuff like I feel like that age is a show way worse than Yeah, I never really thought about that. I think of like how I met your mother and just like I remember loving that when it came out and then I, I tried to watch it recently and I was like Barney is a predator. Oh, uh, I mean that one in particular well watching that in like my late teens that never clicked yeah which is embarrassing and shameful that show in particular has not aged well i mean it it just kind of amazes me that it lasted for as long as it did but again it was on cbs so that kind of makes sense see also two and a half men same network same sentiment but anyway jim Thank you very much for writing in. We (laughs) do appreciate your email. Uh, We are going to have to go find this Seinfeld episode. Like, I've been trying. So (laughs) if you happen to have a copy on VHS, perhaps, taped from the TV, maybe, I don't know. Or if you've seen it on the internet somewhere, write back. Let us know. (laughs) Because I do want to see it now. (laughs) But yeah, so thank you very much for writing in. Uh, if anyone else would like to hear us commentate their email, like <laughs> it's like sports commentary kind of. Um, well, I studied sports journalism. Well, so there you go. Uh, there's there there there's a spinoff show right there. Square mile of sports. <laughs> no, don't encourage me. <laughs> See, I, that, I wouldn't be any good for that because I don't know anything about sports. So, Except for like figure skating, literally, is the sport that I get the most excited about. So, <laughs> Which most people would not expect, knowing me. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you grew up in New England, you played ice hockey, so uh, you ski, so... I just assumed you're into winter sports. I mean, I do love winter sports, but how can you not love a sport that involves people whacking people before the Olympic qualifiers, like with metal poles? There is no better drama than Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. It's great. Remember about... Two minutes before we pressed record, and I said, I don't think there's much opportunity for tangents in this episode. You were wrong. I was wrong. Anyway, Jim, thanks for your email. Yes, thank you very much. We're going to look into Seinfeld. Keep listening. Thank you so much for voting for us. You're super cool. Is that a new shirt? It looks great. Good job, Jim. He's, like, not going to hear this now. He's just, like, he's going to hear that we're reading out his email. He's going to be like, nope, never listening again. Goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Christ. Okay. So, anyway, (laughs) back to the the matter at hand. This week, we're covering an old 
cold case, an oldie coldie. Uh, We're going to need to find a better segue into that because... (laughs) No, we don't do segues here. (laughs) Which has been back in the British media following yet another damning report into the state of London's Metropolitan Police and has haunted the British public, the British police, and the British news media for more than 30 years. On March 10th, 1987, the body of a 37-year-old man was found next to his car in the car park of a pub called The Golden Lion in Sydenham in southeast London. He had been brutally murdered with an axe, his watch had been stolen, and some notes that he'd been writing earlier were missing. However, what has been described as a large sum of money was still in his pockets. As Taylor just said, this is a cold case meaning it has not been solved in the 34 years since this horrific murder. And sadly, it is one of the thousands of murders that have taken place in our capital in the last 35 years. So you could be forgiven for asking, what is it that makes this tragic murder stand out from all the other tragic murders in London every year? Well... This man's name was Daniel Morgan. He was a private investigator, and it has long been theorised that this was basically a hit, because he was weeks, if not days, away from exposing information which would have been devastating for the Metropolitan Police. Right, so, a little background. Daniel Morgan was born in 1949 in Singapore, where his father was stationed with the British forces. Uh, He was the middle of three children with an older brother uh, named Alistair and a younger sister named Jane. The family returned to the UK when Daniel was young, and the rest of his childhood was spent in Wales. Uh, Now, according to the website Justice for Daniel, which is run by by his brother Alistair, Daniel was bored by academic studies but loved the outdoors. Uh, He even built his own kayak at the age of 16. Now, is that a kayak kayak or a canoe kayak? Uh, I don't know. It says on the Justice for Daniel website, it says kayak. I think it's a kayak on Wikipedia as well, but I think the Wikipedia article took it straight from from, that website. So I don't know. I would think it meant like... Well, a kayak to me is the enclosed kind. Yeah. But then I also know people call that a canoe. So in this country. So kayak kayak is generally enclosed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Canoe can mean either a kayak or like a, a canoe. canoe. <laughs> you know, the thing that it's actually called. Yeah. <laughs> um sorry, I, ever since the canoe man episode, I just always feel the need to clarify that cuz I get I very know, confused. Cuz that but the kayak man just doesn't sound right. It sounds more sinister. The kayak man. Yeah. So, he built a watercraft of some, a personal watercraft of some kind. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's just a personal watercraft. It just sounds weird. <laughs> um, after finishing school, Daniel attended agricultural college before moving to Denmark for a few years to get some practical experience in farming and agriculture. Uh, he later worked as a sales rep for a British company in Scandinavia. And after returning to the UK, he worked as a travel rep and tour guide. In his late 20s, Daniel moved to London and set up home with his wife in Norwood, South London. And the couple went on to have two children. 
1984, when Daniel would have been around 35 years old, he and a man named Jonathan Rees set up a private detective agency called Southern Investigations in Thornton Hall, which is an area of Southern Greater London. Fun fact for you, uh, there are around 10,000 licensed private investigators in the UK, and because of government cutbacks, it has been increasingly difficult to become a licensed PI in this country. And there was a period of time in the last decade when nobody could get certified. So most of us know what a private eye is, but we don't know all the ins and outs of the industry, so here's a quick rundown. So a private investigator is defined as a person who can be hired by an individual, a company or organisation to undertake investigatory law services. These services can range from following a person's spouse to see if they're cheating on them, running background checks on a person to carrying out investigations for attorneys or solicitors, barristers, lawyers to inform their court cases, usually on the side of the defence. Some PIs will specialise in a specific area, such as tracing missing persons or counter-surveillance. And according to Wikipedia, private investigators are even hired to rescue people who have been trafficked. The work carried out by Morgan and Reese was varied, to say the least. And according to an article on The Critic, Southern Investigations had a, quote, comfortably flexible attitude towards the law. Which is not, like, comfortable and flexible are good things, but when they're applied to law and legality, Mm. less good. Yeah, especially, like, whether it's on the side of the prosecution or the defense, when cases go to court... If someone has done something illegal to gain information... Yeah, that you know, the whole case that, is fucked. Yeah, the case will just collapse, Yeah, whether that person is guilty or not. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's not good. Be uncomfortably rigid when it comes to the law. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, by 1987, the relationship between Daniel Morgan and Jonathan Reese had soured. So... Since we're talking about him a lot, we should talk about Jonathan Reese a little bit. Uh, Jonathan Reese was born in Doncaster, South Yorkshire in 1954. And after a stint in the Royal Navy, Reese became a private investigator before forming Southern Investigations with Daniel Morgan in 1984. Uh, while Daniel Morgan reportedly had an illegal link to certain police databases, uh, Reese was flying much, much closer to the sun, cultivating relationships with tabloid or uh, red top newspapers and selling illegally obtained information. Uh, he was also a member of the Masons and had many, many inappropriate relationships with police officers. On the afternoon of Daniel Morgan's murder, he and Reese had met for a drink at the Golden Lion Pub in Sydenham. Daniel was found by a BBC producer at 9.40pm, laying next to his car in the pub car park, and he'd been struck three times with an axe, which was left at the scene. Uh, His pockets had been torn open, some notes he'd been working on earlier that day were missing, but approximately £1,000 in cash was still on his person. Um, £1,000 is a lot to have in cash in this day and age, but back then... Yeah. Holy fuck, that was insane. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it it's not typical. I think 
which mm-hmm. makes me wonder like was there another reason for him to have that much cash on yeah. him yeah and also um, why didn't someone take it they left the cash but they stole his watch yeah so which i could kind of understand if it's like a nice watch yeah but if if yeah. if you're trying to make this look like a sort of like a mugging robbery type murder yeah then take the cash too don't just take yeah. the watch because a the cash is easier to get rid of yeah than turning around and selling like a stolen luxury watch or something yeah watch was stolen notes were stolen but a thousand pound in cash was left there was also two packets of golden wonder crisps on the ground next to him and the case became known as the golden wonder murder so uh, according to the critic.com the murder of daniel morgan is now the most investigated but still unsolved murder in the uk with no less than five investigations and no convictions wow and reportedly up to this point has cost 50 million pounds so the detective assigned to the case was uh, Sergeant Sid Fillory, who was based at Catford Police Station in South London. But there was a problem. Remember those inappropriate relationships Southern Investigations had with police? Or more specifically, Jonathan Rees <laughs> had with police? Well, Sid Fillory was one of those inappropriate relationships. He had been working for Southern Investigations on the side and failed to reveal this, you know, quite massive conflict of interest to his superiors when he was assigned the case. Yeah, that doesn't look great. Now, not only was it completely inappropriate for him to investigate the murder of someone he had secretly worked for, Fillory is also allegedly one of the reasons that the partnership between Morgan and Reese had soured. Uh, Morgan was reportedly opposed to hiring serving police officers because it would reflect badly on the company. About a year before Morgan's murder, Fillory was working as Reese's bodyguard one night when he went to deposit 18,000 pounds at their bank's night safe. Uh, The pair claimed to have been mugged when trying to deposit the money and that the night safe had been glued shut. But Morgan was reportedly suspicious of them and believed that they had faked the robbery and split the 18,000 pounds between them. I just find the concept of night safes quite amusing. Yes. Yeah, n- night safes, not a thing that I've heard of before, but... Um... I think you have, your banking system is so much different yes. to the, like in the US, so isn't it? Like, you have drive-through banks, which I just, find yeah, that I mean, concept breaks my brain, like... Yeah. But usually, it's just drive-through ATMs. Although some places have, like, a teller window drive through thing, but it's still very strange to me. Um, but yeah, so a night safe is literally what it sounds like at the end of, like, if you're working late or your business closes up late, you got like put all your money in a specific type of bag, you fill in like a deposit form, and you put it's literally like a, you know, like a trash chute handle, like you pull it down. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like that. Yeah. They pull out of the wall, you put your, your bag in 
close it, it deposits into a safe. So is this like within your own premises or at a bank somewhere? No, so that's like at a bank. It's like outside on the street. So that because the banks usually close like between five and six. Yeah. So yeah, you literally walk up to the, there's like, you'll see them outside of banks. They're literally just a silver, like a thing that pulls down and you deposit your cash. I'm going to have to start looking for night safes now. Yeah. Sounds suspicious to me that that this money was just just happened to be when the two of them were together. And he's supposedly acting as your bodyguard and he's also a police officer. Yeah. Yeah. Just doesn't doesn't add up. According to employees of Southern Investigations, the relationship between Morgan and Reese and Fillory disintegrated over the following year. And by the time of Morgan's murder, he and Reese uh, pretty much hated each other. And by extension, so did Morgan and Fillory. The night before Daniel Morgan's murder, the three men had met for a drink at the Golden Lion Pub. And an argument had ensued between Morgan and Fillory. Morgan did not approve of Fillory's employment within Southern Investigations, and Fillory did not care for Morgan's appearance, attitude, or his flirtations with women. I mean, sure. It's like, oh, I don't like the way you look. (laughs) It just seems very strange. Yeah. Um, Although the three men had ended up drinking in silence, they had agreed to meet up again the following evening to resume the argument. As well as to meet a source. I just love that. It's like, okay, well, we'll keep fighting tomorrow night. Is that is that a men thing? Is that a maybe? thing? It's just like, okay, well, we'll finish this argument later. I'll see you then. I don't get it. Uh, when Fillory was assigned the case, he interviewed Jonathan Rees under caution and accompanied him to the police mortuary to identify Daniel's body. He also took possession of all the relevant files from Southern Investigations, including Morgan's diary. So, obviously, when anyone is murdered, with no witnesses, no CCTV, no DNA, and no obvious culprit or culprits, it makes the case difficult enough. But when someone from the legal or law enforcement profession is murdered, with no CCTV, no witnesses, no DNA, (laughs) no obvious culprits makes it much more difficult because the murderer could be any number of people from the deceased professional life with a grievance. Um, So Southern Investigation specialised in a few different areas of private investigation. According to a BBC article, uh, Rees tended to carry out work for defence lawyers, as well as like his extra side hustle of selling info to, you know, red tops, whilst uh, Daniel Morgan specialised in bailiff and debt collecting work, um, which I didn't realise was a thing for private investigators mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. But it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. Um, now, this meant that the pool of potential suspects was massive. Was the murder carried out by or on behalf of Reese or Fillory? Was it someone whom Daniel had encountered in his bailiff and debt collecting work? Was it a random attack? Was it related to something else entirely? Something in his private life? Who knows? There's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah. Uh, Despite this very questionable start to the investigation, on April 3rd, 1987, less than one month after the murder... Jonathan Reese, Sid Fillory, Reese's 
brothers-in-law Glenn and Gary Vine and two other Metropolitan Police officers were all arrested on suspicion of the murder of Daniel Morgan. Unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to proceed with prosecution and all six men were later released without charge. Get used to that. Yeah. <laughs> a year later, in April 1988, a coroner's inquest was opened. Now, a coroner's inquest is a type of court case, but it's not held to decide guilt. Coroners used to have the power to name a suspect in the case of murder, but that power has now been abolished in England and Wales. Instead, an inquest is held to determine who the individual was uh, if they've not been identified or claimed by their next of kin or the time and manner in which a person has died. There are a number of conclusions that a coroner can come to, previously called verdicts, uh, which include unlawful killing, accidental death, death by misadventure, suicide, lawful killing, occupational disease, neglect, and disaster. In last resort cases where the identity, time, or cause of death cannot be determined, the coroner can record an open conclusion. After four months, the coroner recorded a conclusion of unlawful killing and the death of Daniel Morgan. To be fair, that was the most likely conclusion they were going to come to. There aren't many other explanations for three strikes with an axe. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of very interesting and important information came to light during the four-month inquest. One of the witnesses who gave evidence was an accountant for Southern Investigations who said that whilst working for the firm, he had seen the relationship between Morgan and Reese deteriorate. According to an article in The Guardian, which is linked in the show notes, the accountant claimed that about six months before Morgan died, or was murdered, I should say, uh, Reese had told him that he had mates at Catford Police Station and that they were going to sort out his Daniel Morgan problem. They would either kill him themselves or arrange his murder on behalf of Reese for a thousand pound. Hmm. Like, that is awful to begin with, but a thousand pound? That's cheap for a hit. Yeah. Catford Police Station. That was where Sid Fillory worked. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. You see, the murder would take place outside the pub as it was within Catford's jurisdiction. Uh -huh. And therefore, one of Reese's police friends would be would then be able to suppress evidence. It was alleged that Fillory had tampered with evidence and attempted to interfere with witnesses at the inquiry. It was also revealed that in the summer of 1987, just months after Daniel Morgan's murder... A friend of his, who he was reportedly working with to investigate corruption within the Metropolitan Police, Detective Constable Alan Holmes, had taken his own life under mysterious circumstances. Now, I believe he was shot in the head, mm. but there was suspicion as to whether it was self-inflicted or not. Yeah. But uh, the conclusion of suicide was recorded following his death. Well, mm -hmm. for some reason... The accountant's claims that, you know, Reese was bragging about having Morgan killed weren't really taken seriously or investigated any further. Uh, a lawyer for Reese suggested that the Golden Lion pub was a regular haunt for drug dealers whose weapon of choice was an axe. To which I say, what fucking drug dealers are you hanging out with? 
Also, like, how do you surreptitiously carry an axe around with you? Don't. Like, a gun, a knife, yeah, you can disguise them. A fucking axe? An axe? Like, no. I can almost guarantee that there's no drug gang out there in a major metropolitan area that prefers axes as their weapon. Mm. Just not that believable. No. Uh, the lawyer claimed that Morgan likely interrupted some sort of drug transaction, and that's why he was murdered. He interrupted a drug transaction right next to his own car. Yeah, it's it's a bit suspicious, but it's not also not outside the realm of possibility. No, it's possible. But is it plausible? Yeah. So in July 1988, before the conclusion of the inquest had even been announced, the Police Complaints Authority announced that there would be an inquiry into the Met Police's handling of the investigation into the murder of Daniel Morgan. This inquiry began in August 1988 and was conducted by Hampshire Police. Sources vary, but sometime in 1988, whether it was before, during, or after the inquest, we're not entirely sure, uh, Fillory retired from the police on the grounds of ill health and had taken Daniel Morgan's place at Southern Investigations. Oh, and it was at this time in August 1988 that Daniel Morgan's bodily body was finally laid to rest. More than 16 months after his brutal murder, his family were finally allowed to hold his funeral. The investigation concluded in early 1989, and Hampshire Constabulary concluded that there was absolutely nothing to suggest police involvement in the murder of Daniel Morgan, nor was there any evidence of a police cover-up during the subsequent inquiry. Of course. Seems, seems I mean, right. This is the problem with, like, okay, so it's an outside um, force, it's Hampshire as opposed to the Metropolitan, but they're still part of the police force. Yeah, it should have they been... They are still investigating themselves. It should have been an independent inquiry. Yeah. In February 1989, following the investigation by Hampshire police, Reese was once again arrested, as was his associate, Paul Goodridge. Uh, both were charged with murder and Goodridge's girlfriend, Jean Whiston, was charged with perverting the course of justice. But in the spring, the charges were dropped because once again, there wasn't enough evidence for prosecution. Take a shot every time there's not enough evidence for prosecution. Um, then things go very quiet for just over eight years. In late 1997, then-commissioner of the Met, Paul Condon. <laughs> I'm sorry, it mm. sounds like condom. It does, but it's not. There's an N at the end. Yes, but I'm immature. <laughs> and you know this. Yes. And his name has cropped up before, I believe, oh, yeah. in the Stephen Lawrence episode. Yeah. Oh. Because he was the commissioner of the Met at that time. Yeah, we've definitely so heard I believe of I have laughed at his name before, and I am sorry. Equal opportunity laughing. <laughs> so, Paul Condon announced that the Met would review the case. However, in early 1998, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Roy Clark was secretly opening a third inquiry into the murder of Daniel Morgan called Operation Two Bridges, 
And this covert inquiry involved anti-corruption officers planting bugs in the Southern Investigations' office, where Fillory was now a partner in the business, having stepped straight into Daniel's shoes. The inquiry didn't do anything to further the investigation into Daniel's murder, but it did reveal some interesting business practices going on at Southern Investigations. Now, remember when we said that Reese specialized in work for defense lawyers? Well, at the time of this covert inquiry, Reese was doing work for a lawyer whose client was in a custody battle, and rather than come to an agreement with his former partner, the client was reportedly looking for any way to discredit the child's mother, and Reese was happy to oblige. So in December 2000, Jonathan Reese was found guilty of conspiring to pervert the course of justice. This was because these bugs picked up that Reese was planning to plant cocaine on the child's mother, the woman that the client was in a custody battle with, in an attempt to have her arrested, therefore discredited, and ensure that the father was granted full custody of the child. <laughs> Someone who's willing to do that does not deserve full custody of a child. Yeah, that's that's a pretty fair statement, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Reese was sentenced to six years in prison, but he appealed... And in my personal favourite twist to this story, his sentence was then increased <laughs> to seven years. Uh, I love that. You need some more. Here, have some more. But that was pretty much the, the end of the investigation and no ground was made in the actual investigation into who murdered Daniel Morgan. And then things go quiet again for a couple of years. That was until 2002 when a fourth <laughs> inquiry took place called Operation Abelard, but after more than a year and several covert operations, including bugging suspects' cars and houses, the inquiry still didn't produce enough evidence for the Crown Prosecution Service to agree to prosecute. And then things went quiet once again. Uh, although there was no progress on Daniel's case, Sid Fillory was soon back on the police radar. After Reese was convicted in 2000, Fillory had been running Southern Investigations. According to TheCritic.com, in 2003, an anti-corruption inquiry found child pornography on Fillory's personal computer. Uh, he was arrested and convicted, but spared jail time. After pleading guilty, instead of a custodial sentence, Fillory was sentenced to a three-year rehabilitation order, according to an archived BBC article. Which is fucked. Yeah. So after this, things went quiet again. Again, 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 again. <laughs> uh, that was until a fifth covert investigation began in 2005. Um, yeah, so the fifth investigation began in 2005 after the Met announced that the, in that the original investigation led by Sid Fillory had been, quote, compromised. No shit. Mm. Uh, the investigation was imaginatively titled Operation Abelard 2. Too fast, too furious? Operation <clears throat> Abelard London Drift? <laughs> However, despite this supposedly being a covert or, you know, secret inquiry, uh, Detective Superintendent David Cook, who led the inquiry, described it as the worst-kept secret in southeast London. 
a great deal of progress was made, and it seemed that this might actually be the investigation that finally brought Daniel Morgan's killers to justice. But of course, like everything else in this case, it wasn't going to be that straightforward. In April 2008, four people were arrested on suspicion of Daniel Morgan's murder. They were Jonathan Reese, Glenn and Gary Vine, and James Cook, who was a local builder. Not really sure what his connection was, but you know. Yeah, it was there. Uh, Sid Fillory was also arrested on suspicion of leaking police information as a serving officer. So the case went to trial. Opening arguments were heard at London's Old Bailey in October 2009. Now, the problem with this trial was that the prosecution relied heavily on supergrass witnesses. So we all know, like, a grass or a snitch to our international listeners, because I don't think grass is used as much abroad as No, it, I don't think so. In that sense. Yeah. yeah. So, grasses or snitches are police informants, but a supergrass is a name given in British slang to a criminal informant who turns Queen's evidence, which is, like, the equivalent of turning state's evidence. Yeah. Um, and then testifies in court against their fellow criminals. And in high-profile trials, they become known as supergrasses. Um, and there were three key supergrass witnesses at the trial. And one by one, they were dismissed by the judge. <laughs> because whenever you have a criminal informant, no matter what level of grass, a regular grass or a supergrass, their credibility is always called into question because it's what are they getting out of it. Because a lot of them get plea deals. Yeah, exactly. Or reduce sentences. Or things. There's usually something to gain for them. Yeah. So the first uh, witness was dismissed in February 2010. And this stayed the prosecution of Sid Fillory, which then eventually was withdrawn anyway. Mm. Then in November 2010, the second Supergrass witness was dismissed, which led to charges against James Cook being dropped. And in July 2011, the third Supergrass witness was dismissed. And the police were accused of withholding evidence as they had not disclosed that this supergrass witness was a registered police informant. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in March 2011, the Director of Public Prosecutions, Sir Keir Starmer, who is now the leader of the Labour Party, uh, made the decision to abandon the case uh, as the prosecution could not guarantee the defendants the right to a fair trial. And so, Jonathan Reese and his brothers-in-law, Glenn and Gary Vine, were all acquitted. Following the collapse of the trial, the Met once again acknowledged that early investigations into Daniel Morgan's murder were hampered by corruption. That investigation and trial was the last into Daniel's murder. As we understand it, the case is now a cold case, which will be reviewed periodically and action will be taken if new evidence comes to light. However, from 2004 onwards, Daniel's family had been calling on the government for a public inquiry into Daniel's case. But the government refused until 2013, when then-Home Secretary Theresa May announced that an independent panel would be set up to examine, quote, the police involvement in the murder, the role played by police corruption in protecting those responsible for the murder, and the failure to confront that corruption. She acknowledged that it was unlikely that any prosecutions would result from the independent inquiry, but according to a BBC article, she hoped that it would, quote, shine a light on the circumstances of Daniel Morgan's murder and the subsequent handling of the case by the Met. 
So, if you've listened to episode 25, which was on the murder of Stephen Lawrence, which released almost a year ago, I think it was end of July last year, uh, you will know that the Metropolitan Police has been branded institutionally racist, corrupt, sexist, homophobic, and just plain old incompetent. If it's bad, the Met has been branded it in the last 50 years. (laughs) Now... The Met has hit back at all these accusations by seeking to change the legal definition uh, of institutional racism, making sure that we, the British public, are well aware that it is impossible for them to be racist because they have many officers who are people of colour or from minority backgrounds. Uh, And the uh, current commissioner is also a queer woman, which takes care of the sexism and homophobia accusations. The murder of Stephen Lawrence led to multiple inquiries which concluded institutional racism. But one of these inquiries published a report in 2014 which alleged corruption in the investigation into Stephen's murder and noted that there was substantial evidence linking corrupt officers to the investigation into Daniel Morgan's murder as well. Uh, Things went quiet for a few years while the inquiry was conducted. Then in 2017, Sid Fillery, Jonathan Reese, and the Vine brothers each brought a claim against the Metropolitan Police for malicious prosecution. So malicious prosecution, in short, is a civil claim which requires a claimant to prove that the police and prosecutors had no reason to pursue prosecution. To bring any claim of malicious prosecution, the criminal court has to have already ruled in your favour. So even either you've been found not guilty or the case has been dismissed. There's another, there's other like elements to it, but you can't claim malicious prosecution if you've been found guilty. Yeah, which makes sense. Uh, so Fillory was awarded £25,000, which is uh, $34,400 or €29,200 uh, in interim damages. Uh, which means that was the amount that he was to be paid in compensation at the time of the verdict, with a much larger award to be decided upon a later date. Uh, Now, we couldn't find what the final compensation award was. Uh, It doesn't seem to have been disclosed to the media. Uh, Reese's and and the Vine Brothers' claims were dismissed, but in July 2018, the three won their claims on appeal. According to the BBC, Reese and Glenvine were each awarded uh, £155,000, which is $213,400 or €180,900. Big numbers are hard. (laughs) Uh, And Gary Vine was awarded uh, £104,000. Then we fast forward to just two months ago. May 2021. The Independent Inquiry was ready to publish their report on May 16th, but Home Secretary Preeti Patel wanted to review it before publication, citing concerns of national security and human rights issues. And yes, it came as quite a shock to us too that Preeti Patel actually cares about human rights issues and abuses. So yeah, shockingly, this year, she decided there was a reason to care about human rights. <laughs> uh, some sources uh, actually claimed that there wasn't time for the Home Office to review its publication, so it would have to wait to be um, 
published, but the panel refused to hand over the report, claiming that it had been it had been extensively vetted to ensure it complied with human rights requirements and posed zero risk to national security. And according to an article published by The Guardian, a source close to the Met claimed that there were no issues of national security, but rather issues of, quote, national embarrassment. (laughs) I I think that that's really badass that the panel's like, no. Fuck you. Like, we've done our work. It's it's legit. Yeah. Um, And... That's because an agreement was signed in 2013 with our former Home Secretary, Theresa May, who is also now our former Prime Minister as well. She's a lot of former things, which is probably... I mean, she's still she's still a serving MP, I believe. Yeah. But, you know, like, how fast our politics system changes because we do not have, like, fixed four-year terms anymore. It's uh, baffling to me, personally, but... Uh... Yeah. But, yeah. An agreement was signed in 2013 when the panel was first commissioned, which limited the role the Home Secretary had in reviewing the report before publication. So Preeti Patel had very little say. Yeah. So suck it. Um, Yeah. And Daniel Morgan's family were understandably very upset by the delay, saying that it betrayed and undermined the very purpose of the panel and the report to have the Home Office who are in charge, you know, they're the ones above the Met, they're the ones above our police force, to have them then check it. Yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive there. Yeah, it does literally go against everything that report was commissioned for. Uh, So they eventually reached a compromise. The Home Office would be allowed to check the report and make recommendations for redactions in the footnotes, and Daniel Morgan's family would also be allowed to read the full unredacted report. On June 8th, the Home Office announced that the full, unredacted, 1,200-page report would be released to the public on June 15th, and it was. The report found that the Metropolitan Police, to the surprise of basically nobody, is institutionally corrupt. It also found that the force had placed protecting its reputation above investigating the murder and serving the public. Now, the Met has obviously denied this, and Commissioner Cressida Dick apologized to Daniel Morgan's family. However, his family has said that she should consider her position, and others have called for her resignation. Cressida Dick has been accused of refusing the panel access to police databases when she was assistant commissioner. Uh, yeah, so that is the story of the murder of Daniel Morgan and the most investigated case in the UK never to be solved. The really sad thing about this. Is that we still don't know who did it. Yeah. Or why, you know, Daniel's family do not have just like justice in any way. Yeah, there's no there's no answers. Yeah. And of course we don't know, we'll never know the full extent of the reports that the Met has, all their like files and everything, because I have a feeling they will become very they'll when they come up to the time that they should be made public i get the feeling they'll be sealed again yeah i would imagine so um because as you know that source close to the met said it's it's not about national security it's national embarrassment yeah absolutely like they just don't want to look bad and yeah this this story is about the the murder of daniel morgan but 
he has again because like so many other people become a footnote in his own murder yeah which is horrible especially like because it seems pretty likely allegedly for legal reasons that uh we probably know know who did did it and so and not only that so like you you probably know who did it but you can't prosecute him not only that but they've then won civil cases that are saying basically you fucked us over by saying we did it yeah and even if new evidence comes to light and those people could be charged in the future if they could be guaranteed a fair trial which they are entitled Mm -hmm. to even the worst of the worst scumbags are entitled to a fair trial. Yeah. You know, they can still keep that money because they won that in civil court. Yeah. And also like... Because that specific prosecution was, was malicious. malicious. And also, trying to find a jury for this kind of trial? Yeah. So hard. Like, especially when it gets to... Like, I would say anybody who's read a headline about this report is now disqualified from jury selection. Yeah. So that alone would be nearly impossible to run a trial. Yeah. It just must be so frustrating for them. Like. Yeah. To, to have seen right through the smokescreen from the very beginning and then decades later still be struggling against it yeah and it does go back to the whole thing of a case being unsolvable versus unwinnable yeah and i think this case is probably solved like they know who did it but it's unwinnable they cannot prove it Yeah, and it's it's on i mean i'd say it's even untriable yeah like and I mean, I guess this is kind of similar to, like, Derek Chauvin's trial. Like, how do you try a case where literally everybody knows what knows happened. about it? Yeah. It's, it's really because hard. it was a huge case in the late 80s. Like, my, I was talking to my parents about it, they remember yeah. it. In the late 80s, it's been a huge case, and his name has come up with all the inquiries to do with Stephen Lawrence, where corruption has been mentioned. Daniel Morgan's name has come up then. It's obviously had its own report an inquiry Mm -hmm. and report published just last month there's like yeah and that's the thing it's not just like spans the generations that's the thing it's not just oh people in the 80s would have known about this case and so like you probably can't but it's literally it pops up every (laughs) five years basically so it's touched so many different like areas of the population yeah, it's not like they could bring in like a young jury and be like, well, they don't remember. Yeah, it. because it's it's in the news. Like this this week, this this year. So I was gonna put this in the script and then I decided it didn't need that much attention. So Jonathan Reese was also in trouble with the police during the phone hacking scandal. Oh. Because he had been selling information to, to the, the tabloids. tabloids yeah. Even back in the 90s, he was on retainer. Well, 
they didn't call it retainer, but he was essentially on retainer for 150 grand a year at one point. They were a bit, yeah, like he was earning 150 grand a year selling stories to um, various uh, tabloid newspapers owned by Rupert Murdoch. Ah, yes. Um, So he got in a lot of trouble for that. But yeah, I decided that didn't need the airtime. Yeah, I mean, not surprising considering his character. And that he was selling stories on the side. He he was already in that world. So, like. Yeah, Yeah, so during the phone hacking inquiry. So I went and looked back at the script we did on the phone hacking inquiry for Patreon. I couldn't find his name, so we didn't mention him anywhere. But yeah, he was in trouble for that. Yeah, so whilst we still have no idea who killed Daniel Morgan, we don't know why either. Yeah. There's all these rumours that he was working on something to do with Met Corruption. And there was a rumour that he was planning to sell a story to one of the newspapers on corruption within the Met like in the weeks before his death. Mm-hmm. And there was the suspicious death, alleged suicide, or officially suicide, of... um an associate of his that seems uh, suspicious yeah and it does seem to be the most likely but and also his notes were stolen yes yeah so the only thing i would be curious about that is that like if he was like if he was working on this story i wonder like how far in the process of handing it over to a publication he was because you would think that some of it would have come out yeah and in the inquiry following the phone hacking scandal which was 10 was that 10 years ago holy shit yeah um so they did find relationships between like the press politicians police investigators there were it wasn't officially like class is inappropriate but there were questionable i think was yeah the way it was generally described like those relationships were questionable so yeah you could say oh well in the last 34 years that story should have come out yeah but not necessarily yeah if you look at how those relationships have worked yeah and historically also like you see that someone's been planning to tell this story and then they're murdered uh, someone else that they were associated with dies under potentially suspicious circumstances you might be hesitant to go forward with it yeah so uh, yeah. that is fair all things considered now alistair morgan has never given up the fight for justice for his brother and if you have any information regarding the murder of daniel morgan Uh, please do contact your local police station or the UK police non-emergency number uh, at 101. And if you like the show, please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcast, because that helps us get in front of more and more people. And subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. And if you want to get some cool Square Mile merch, we have a selection of awesome products and we have got 30% off for the whole of July using code WOW30. Yes. Because your gal is 30. Everyone's 30 now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can find those at squaremileofmurder.store. 
And the link is in our show notes and on the website as usual. And if you'd like to help us cover the cost of making the podcast and help us invest in the future of the show, you can join our Patreon page. Tiers start at just one pound per month, and every patron gets regular episodes uh, ad-free and one day early, a shout-out on the show, priority case requests, and a lifetime discount on merch. Uh, And that's just for one pound a month. And as the tiers go up, you get even more, including bonus episodes and exclusive merch uh, and all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash square mile of murder. And the links will be in all the usual places. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We will be back back. next week. So we'll see you then. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.